I got 30 minutes. Some things, some things never change. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 12. John 12, as we continue in the series that you've been in in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our spiritual eyes now and help us to see wondrous things from your law. And then help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers, deceiving ourselves. And we pray that above all, that beyond the sacred page, may we see Jesus and love him more. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. You've probably heard this. Uh, Experts on the human brain tell us that of all the five senses, the sense of smell is the most closely connected to memory. All I have to do to relive my past as a 16-year-old is go into any drugstore, go to the men's cologne area, take a bottle of cheap Aquavelva, open it up, take a big sniff, and I am in a time capsule. I am taken back to the basement bathroom of the house that I grew up in, in Lakeview in Calgary, and I'm experiencing all the emotions, all the excitement and the apprehension and the tension of preparing for my very first double date. Yes, my neighbor, Warren Slatt, and I were taking out the Haloff twins. Now, honey, I don't think I've ever told you about this particular date. Barb and Bev Haloff. Uh, And nobody had the heart to tell me that Aqua Velva was probably not the best love potion to be wearing to attract any kind of girl in those days. But the funny thing is, is that every fragrance uh, that I wore during what we would call the wonder years carries a bucket of memories. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's the English leather memories, and the Old Spice memories, and the Brute memories, and the Polo memories. Just one smell, and I'm back there. And I'm not only remembering the event, but I'm feeling all the emotions of that event. Smell is very powerful. When Myrna and I were dating, she wore Estee Lauder Youth Do. And uh, yes, honey, I'll pay you 10 bucks for using this illustration. Uh, 
Of course, I would drop her off at night, and I would drive back home, and the fragrance of her perfume was still in the car. You know the story. We would play ping pong, and uh, the fragrance was still on the ping pong paddle. And so I had a thing about Estee Lauder youth do. But then we had to separate, and I moved to Regina, where I went to Bible college. So for two years, Myrna was in Calgary. I was in Regina. There was no uh, email, no texting. Uh, Long-distance calls were very expensive. And so I was a mess, and I missed her a lot, as any long-distance person would. And so one lonely night, I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm walking down the long hall at the old Canadian Bible College, from the men's dorm all the way to the dining hall, and there's a young woman, probably another freshman, who was walking towards me. I don't know her. She doesn't know me. And we pass. I can't remember if we made eye contact or not, but we didn't know each other, but I did know her fragrance. And I stopped, and I turned around, and I said, excuse me. And she stopped and turned around, and she said, yes. I said, would you happen to be wearing Estee Lauder youth do? She said, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And I said, oh, good. Do you mind if I just stand here close to you for a couple moments (laughs) and take some deep breaths? And she said, no, go ahead. And so I did. And of course, I explained to her the situation that it was my girlfriend who wore Estee Lauder. And at that point, I don't think she was very impressed. In in any event, there is a point to this madness. It was the fragrance that another woman was wearing that made me think of Myrna. And it was the fragrance that connected me to past memories. And so we probably shouldn't be surprised that the story in our text today contains both the theme of fragrance and memory. And if there's a single verse that I'd like us to reflect on today, it's this one. It says in verse 3, the second part, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What Mary did for Jesus that evening permeated everything. Her love for him, as expressed in dumping perfume on his feet, was inescapable. If you were in the house, you would be witnessing the most unusual and costly outpouring of affection. Yes, I think Martha was also worshiping, but she was using her own unique love language. Uh, If Martha wasn't doing her thing, there wouldn't be a dinner party. Lazarus was worshiping Jesus by simply sitting at the table with him and probably getting as close as he could. Remember, just a few days earlier, Lazarus was dead and now was alive. But it's Mary's action in this text that Jesus singles out. And here's where the idea of fragrance and memory connect. Now, I just have to give a little Uh, exerxis right here or a little explanation of how this text fits in with the whole New Testament. Um, Some of you have heard this text before. You've read it many times, but it can be a little confusing because this story or a story like it appears in all four Gospels. And so commentators and historians have really struggled over why the stories are different. So, Uh, Can I just say this to make a very complicated thing uh, a little easier? In my opinion, and in the opinion of many, there are actually two anointings where two different women anointed Jesus' feet. This one is Mary of Bethany, 
She is not Mary Magdalene. She is not the sinful woman. She is a very close personal friend of the Lord's. It happens in what town? It says in Bethany. In both Matthew and Mark, there is another anointing which I believe is the same as this one. Uh, It doesn't say it's Mary, but it's in the tiny village of Bethany, and all the other details are almost exactly the same, except Mary anoints not only Jesus' feet, but also his head. But then the Gospel of Luke has a story which is completely different, though there is a woman who's also anointing Jesus' feet. She is called a sinner or a prostitute. She is not invited to the party. She breaks in unexpectedly, right? And when she dumps the perfume on Jesus' feet, it's not Judas or the disciples who are upset with her. It's the Pharisees who are upset with Jesus. And remember what, 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 Jesus, what they said. They said, if you were a prophet, you would know what kind of woman this was. And Jesus just rails against the Pharisees and, and says something he doesn't say in any of the other Gospels. So here's, here's what I'm putting forth today that this story also appears in Matthew and it also appears in Mark, but the Luke story is completely different. This is Mary, she is in Bethany, and what Matthew and Mark tell us that John's gospel doesn't tell us is this, and you'll see the words up on the screen. Jesus sums it all up by saying, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Very interesting. Uh, Very interesting. So just as the whole house was filled with the fragrance of Mary's perfume, so the whole world would now be filled with the memory of Mary's love for Jesus and what she did, and all in the context of gospel proclamation. So we can't miss this. This is key to us understanding this passage. What Mary did in anointing Jesus' head and feet is to be forever remembered because it belongs to the gospel. It explains the gospel. It actually shows or illustrates the gospel. Okay, so we need to unpack this. First, a little bit of context. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 again. It says that this event happened how many days before Passover? Yeah, six days before Passover. So the story happens just before the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem, which Andre actually read the text about, and I don't think Andre knew that I was going to be preaching on exactly this, but he talked about what happened on Palm Sunday. Uh, When Jesus got on the foal of a donkey and started riding down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley and then up through the eastern gate of what what is the old city of Jerusalem, what town did he get on the donkey on? Bethany. Yeah, so Bethany is right on the top of the Mount of Olives. That's where the dinner party takes place. That's where Mary anoints Jesus' feet. And shortly after that, Jesus gets on the donkey and it's Palm Sunday. All of that is extremely important because this marks a shift in the whole gospel. From this moment forward, the whole focus of John's gospel is on the Lord's death on the cross. 
And he talks about his death a lot. Even in this chapter, he says things like in verse 23, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a simple grain of wheat, but if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He was talking about the fruit that would come from his death. And then he says after that, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then it says he was saying this to explain the kind of death that he was going to die. So Jesus is clearly in chapter 12 preparing himself and his disciples and the world for his imminent death. Now follow me. This is precisely why Mary's act of extravagant worship is singled out as a perpetual memorial. In other words, her story appears here because it's going to provide us with an understanding of what happens when Jesus dies. Or her act of love, pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet, will be like a sacrament of his death, explaining what happens when Jesus dies. And this is alluded to by Jesus himself when he gives a commentary on what she did. She says, remember, she is doing this in preparation for my burial. So nobody at the dinner party was thinking about Jesus' death except Jesus and maybe Mary. And there's a number of people who feel that Mary had a clue to what was going to happen to Jesus once he got into the city of Jerusalem. Okay. So what exactly did Mary do that is a sacrament of Jesus' death? Well, think about it. She takes something very, very expensive. And at just the appointed time, she breaks it open. Mark's gospel says she broke the alabaster bottle. Commentators tell us that the really expensive nard or perfume could not just be opened and you poured out a little bit at a time, but you broke the entire bottle and poured it all out. That's why nard was used for burial. The bottle was broken. The entire contents were dumped out. She dumps out the entire contents of the bottle of perfume on that which is soiled yet precious. Why does she do this? Love. She is driven by love. Why such sacrifice? Love. Her sacrifice of love is foreshadowing our Lord's sacrifice of love. And this is so interesting because in the very next chapter, chapter 13, it's Jesus who is bending down and he is doing what? He's washing the disciples' feet. And then Jesus takes a piece of bread, which is a symbol of his most precious body, and what does he do with it? He does exactly what Mary does with the perfume. He breaks it open, and he gives it to them. He says, this is for you. And then he takes wine, and what does he do with it? He does exactly what Mary did with the perfume. He pours it out into cups to be consumed by very sinful yet broken men. And as Jesus does that, the fragrance 
of the Lord's love for his Father and the world fills the whole house. We could say when Jesus ultimately was dying on the cross, the whole world, broken and sinful and detached, would see and smell and feel the tangible love of Jesus for his Father. As Mary loved Jesus, Jesus loved his Father. Oh yes, and he loves us too. And this is why he died. What happens every time the gospel is preached is that the sweet fragrance of Jesus fills the whole house. Everything else is eclipsed. And even while Jesus is dying on the cross, literally pouring out the contents of his life, the fragrance of his love for the Father and the world is filling the whole crucifixion scene. So the the intoxicating fragrance of the dying Jesus reaches the nostrils of one of the thieves who looks over at this man and is awakened spiritually and says, when you die, would you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus says, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. And he cannot believe the goodness of what's happening. The centurion at the bottom of the cross who has just finished crucifying Jesus The scent of the fragrance of the Lord's love reaches him, and at the end of it all, he says, surely this man is the Son of God. And then the fragrance of Christ dying for the world reaches all the way to the temple, and the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing access now between humanity and God. And if that isn't enough, the stench from the uh, graveyard The sweet fragrance of Jesus reaches the cemetery and graves are opened and dead people come to life after Jesus dies. This is amazing. To mix the metaphors, let me borrow words from a really well-known old song by Andre Crouch. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain and it flows into the lowest valley. The fragrance fills the whole house. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never ever lose its power. Okay, so what is the response to such extravagant outpourings of love and affection? both Mary's and Jesus's. Well, there's mixed reviews, isn't there? First, the response to Mary's sacrificial outpouring of love, it had mixed reviews. The disciples in Matthew and Mark, and Judas particularly here in in John, were highly critical of Mary, and they criticized her to her face. They said, the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. This is a complete waste. If Judas was living today, his sentiments would be broadcast to the whole world in a tweet. And it would sound something like this. Mary's irrational enthusiasm got the better of her today, wasting a year's wages on a man's dirty feet, inexcusable, excessive, fanatical. That's how Judas feels. And that's also how the disciples felt. What was the Lord's response to Mary's outpouring? Uh, It's seen in this painting. Unfortunately, because it's so bright in here, you're having a difficult time seeing it. I can actually see it much better on this screen. This is a painting of of Mary uh, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and kissing his feet. 
And uh, what Jesus is doing is he, oh, there we go. Thanks, Dave. Jesus is reaching out both arms towards Mary, his right hand to receive her sacrifice. And his left hand is upon Mary's head. In other words, Mary, dear, I am blessing what, what Judas has just cursed. Judas has just cursed you for your extravagant love, but I'm reversing the curse through my blessing. I think sometimes um, folks like you experience what Mary experienced. You love Jesus and you do something extravagant as far as the world is concerned. Perhaps it's like getting baptized or maybe even tithing a tenth of your income. Who knows what it could be, but there's mixed reviews and people will say things and do things that alienate you from them and it's hurtful and Jesus comes to you, he comes to me as he came to Mary saying, I receive this gift and that's really what matters. And what was the response to Jesus' outpouring of love on the cross? Mixed reviews. Not everybody was ready for that fragrance. So the one thief is very excited to smell the fragrance of life. But the other thief is extremely upset. And he says, if you really were the son of God, you would get yourself and us down from this cross. So for the one thief, Jesus' love is the fragrance of life. But for the other thief, it's the fragrance of death. So this is very important. What is it about Jesus' death on the cross that's beautiful to some people but repugnant to others? Because everybody smells the same fragrance, yet it's only beautiful to some people. Isn't it this? Isn't it because the, the true beauty of the cross, and we know how ugly the cross is, but the beauty also that is associated with the cross lies in the kind of God who's willing to be crucified there. He's a God who refuses to win through power politics. He's a God who actually forgives his enemies. He's a God of self-sacrificing love. He lets the world murder him for crimes that he didn't commit, and then he forgives them in the very act while they're doing it. He is a son fully committed to the will of his father. He's a leader. He's a God who leads not the way of the dragon, but the way of the lamb. And so if you happen to be a person who believes that the only way to make it in this world is that for those people in power to enforce it, they should enforce the power, you will not find anything about the cross particularly beautiful. The beauty of the fragrance of Mary's sacrifice and our Lord's sacrifice is that it's cruciform. It's the beauty of self-sacrificing love. And not everybody in the world apparently is ready for that, especially if they believe that sending in the tanks is the only way to resolve differences. Only now are we ready for the story about Mary's fragrant sacrifice forever reminding us of Jesus' fragrant sacrifice to come full circle showing us where we come in to the story. As you know, there are many biblical metaphors describing the church 
We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the building of Christ. Each of these metaphors, we are identified uh, solely by the union that we have with Jesus. The only reason we're a body is because Jesus is the head. The only reason we're the building is because Jesus is the cornerstone, etc. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul provides us with another fresh metaphor describing the church that many believe is the new metaphor for the church in the 21st century. Here's how it goes. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus in every place. I love that. In every place. The whole house is filled. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are the fragrance of life, to others we are the fragrance of death. Hmm, did you see that? There will be mixed reviews in regard to the church. Some people in the world will welcome the fragrance, others will demand a fragrance-free zone. But here's where I believe the Spirit is leading us today in regards to us being the fragrance of Christ in the world right now. It's quite obvious that the world, in some ways, is getting increasingly wicked or evil. It's probably always been this wicked, but everybody's access to uh, wickedness is, is just much easier. It comes with the push of a button. We're all very concerned about the state of our world, and as the church is tempted to engage itself in the culture wars, I think we are tempted to adopt the metaphor of light as the primary metaphor describing our responsibility in the world. And we are the light of the world. Jesus said we're the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. None of us here would say anything other than the fact that the church is the light of the world. But light is a metaphor for truth. And... As we seek to be the light of Christ in this dark world, we will be tempted to always expose darkness, call evil for what it is. We will stand up and speak for God when it's unpopular, and we will do so about all kinds of issues, issues relating to things that are incredibly controversial, the sanctity of life, the sacredness of marriage, God's design for sexuality, etc., etc. But here's where our text today provides some caution and some balance. Light is a metaphor for truth. And we are that. But fragrance is a metaphor for beauty. And we are also that. And there is a danger for the church in speaking truth to the world without beauty. If our goal, for example, is to convince our children of the gospel or convince our spouse or convince our neighbor that the gospel is true, yet without the truth of the gospel being accompanied by beauty, by self-sacrificing love, we fail to reflect the full character of God. For God is not just true. He is beautiful beyond all comprehension. So could it be in these days that what might attract more people to the truth of the gospel 
is the beauty of self-sacrificing love? If so, let the artists arise. Paint, sculpt, write. Let the musicians and poets and gardeners and architects and, dare I say, perfumers dust off their sacred craft. We can't just tell people what's right and what's wrong. We must tell people what's right and what's wrong in a way that manifests the sweet, beautiful fragrance of self-sacrificing love. Amen? Amen. And so you, North Shore Alliance, you are the light of the world, but you are also the fragrance of Christ. In the classroom, on the soccer pitch, in the office tower, in the living room, and the darker that things get in this world, the greater the opportunity for the church. It's evangelism by fragrance. I'll close with this, and this can be our corporate response together. It's an old hymn. Some of you will know. Most of you won't. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. If there's anything in our life today that is standing opposed to the fragrance of self-sacrificing love being manifested through us, That's the application point. Lord, forgive me, change me, and fill me with the fragrance of your Son. Amen. Amen. Sing our last song.